WGN. It's Amy Guth with you till four o'clock with esteemed producer Cashera is here. Hello. I mean, I just want to just call you just like DJ Cashera all the time because that's really your professional name. And you play all the good songs, all the hits. Thank you. I do what I can. Thank you so much. I was gonna. I almost said like, "Oh, hey, we got to play that One Earth, Wind and Fire song because it's." <laughs> you did it. You read my mind. Thank you. You're I so do what good. I can. You're so good. What's up? How are you? I haven't seen you in a long time. I know. I'm good. Um, I'm currently stressing to get ready for my trip to New York. I leave Wednesday. Oh yeah, just for just fun or like, work? Uh, both. Okay. So yeah, my birthday was last week. Happy so birthday to you. Thank you. Um, I'm DJing three events out there, and awesome. then the rest of the weekend is just vacation time for me. Good for you. You deserve you deserve vacation. Thank I, you. I'm. I like to tell people that. I like to really stress that to people because I am terrible at taking it. Same. T- terrible. And so anytime someone's like, "Oh, sorry, I can't do that. I'm going on vacation," or "Oh, I'm going to be away for a couple of days," I'm like, "Good for you for caring for yourself." I'm, yes. I'm hokey about it, but I think we need that because, you know, there's a. I mean, I know so many people that say things like. Oh, I never take vacation because it, by the time I come back, there's so much to do that I miss. It's not even worth the break. I'll just be stressed. I get that. I totally get that. Especially like in our business. There's so many different jobs. Absolutely. Juggling. I feel like if you're off, even if you just take a day off or don't go to one event, you missed everything. Oh, even a day off is like, oh, it's a nightmare. Because all you're thinking about is what you got to do tomorrow. Yep. <laughs> Catch up. It's a nightmare. But nonetheless, a lot of people are off today because it is Labor Day. Happy Labor Day friends i hope you're doing something relaxing and wonderful i'm going to try to not stress you out with all the news of the world too much in the next few hours there is some that we got to talk about we got to talk about hurricane dorian that's pretty serious that's going to have i believe some you know probably some very lasting impacts and we're going to have to pull together and do some stuff there's you know disaster relief efforts things like that certainly needed in the bahamas we'll see what the next uh few hours and days has in store for the for the uh coastal areas of the US but we're going to talk with Demetrius Ivory at the WGM Weather Center here after the 1:30 news and then we're going to talk with a meteorologist who is a professor at the College of Meteorology kind of big picture stuff and kind of dig into a little bit of the science of hurricanes talk about that uh, and of course we're going to talk with Ryan Burrow sometime in the three o'clock hour for a little bit about how travel is being impacted by Hurricane Dorian because there's, you know, lots of people trying to move around today. And that's, uh, you know, Hurricane Dorian is throwing a hitch into a lot of those plans. Um, But I want to talk a little bit about Labor Day itself, because as you probably just heard in the news, uh, in the news break, Dave Schwan had a lovely update. He always has these wonderful little spotlights on history. Um, The History Channel and and History.com has a really cool kind of, here are the facts of it, here's the stuff with Labor Day. And you know, I think, it, you know, I, I was I was kind of asking around people just like, hey, what do you think Labor Day is about? What do you think Labor Day is about? And for the most part, it was like, mm, it's a day off from labor. True. But it really is about celebrating workers and their achievements. So if you think about uh, the things that workers have created in this country, it's quite a bit, right? Quite a bit. We're talking about worker protections, child labor laws, uh, anti-harassment stuff. That's a big deal. And um, I'm going to tweet this this link out after the program. I've already started a little threaded, um, a little thread of tweets for links that we talk about today. So you can access everything. I'm at Amy Guth, G-U-T-H on Twitter. Um, but over the weekend on Saturday, I spoke with um, an author of a new novel, but he had written a piece uh, unrelated to the novel 
novel. He wrote a piece in The New Yorker, and it is about um, it is about the state of unions in the U.S., and it was really, really fascinating. It's a long read. I highly recommend it, but I'll, I'll tweet that out again because I think uh, if this is a topic of interest to you, if you are a history buff, anything like that, this is you will love this piece. It's so fascinating. But he made a really interesting comparison in the conversation that we had. He was talking about, I said, you know, what do you, how do you feel right now about the future of union work and how are things going right now? You've done so much research in this area. And he said he made a really interesting comparison of how how if you look at like 19th century workers, who we primarily work, did a lot of work in our homes at that time. We did a lot of piecework here and there, little bits and pieces of things. He compared that to the gig economy. He said, we're actually repeating something we already did in the 19th century by working at home a lot. And it was, you know, kind of the idea was, you know, freedom from, you know, freedom to kind of do what you want, but those worker protections weren't there. So it was really an interesting conversation. So again, I'm going to tweet that out after the program, but on a less serious note, because we don't have to go, we don't have to go totally serious the whole time we're here today. Um, do you follow, because Sarah, do you follow the thing about wearing white after Labor Day? Yes, because my mother tells me that I better not do it. <laughs> do you know, do, I mean, do you, other than that, like, do you know why or do, did she tell you why you're not supposed to? No, and every time I'd ask her, she would just say, no, you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to wear all white after Labor Day. Okay, there. You're not the only one with questions, because I too had that question. I was like, "Why is that such a thing?" Yeah, I'm like, I like my all-white basketball shorts, right? Why and can't I, I wear them past? I noticed um, a lot of people in the last week wearing white, mm-hmm. and I ran into a friend and I saw, her and I was like, "Oh, those, you know, that those pants are so pretty. Those are so cute." And she was, "Well, I gotta wear them now. I didn't wear them all summer. Gotta wear them now because I can't wear it after Labor Day." And so I started thinking, "Well, why?" Why is that a thing that we follow? Turns out not many people do have have uh, have a sense of this. Newsweek has a great piece that's up right now about about kind of why that might be and how different fashion icons have weighed in on that. Coco Chanel was like, no, you wear what you want. But that's always kind of her thing. Right. She was like, no, we don't need to wear corsets. We're going to be comfortable. That right. Kind Coco's of always been the, the outlander. He's just like, nah, we're not doing that. I mean, never mind that she was she dated a literal Nazi, but... Never mind that. She was right. totally in favor. Aside from that, she was in favor of us doing what we want to That's do right. in the fashion world. Other than that, she, yeah, she wanted, in the fashion way, she was, she was fine. Personally, yes. eh, not, nah, so much. not so much. We, I got questions for, for the girl. Uh, but there's this idea around, there's a hypothesis around why. And part of it is that perhaps wearing white was a symbol that you didn't have to do manual labor, that you didn't, that you mm. were well enough off, that you didn't have to toil, you didn't have to get dirty. Right. And so, and it was also a practical way to keep cooler. And so okay. it was like this idea that you wore white all summer to show, like, as a way to say, I'm on holiday. And that, that ending the wearing of white at the beginning of fall was a symbol of, okay, now I'm going back to my regular life. I'm off of my summer holiday, which um. is just a hoity-toity classist thing. <laughs> Very much so. Wow. If you really, yeah. So now I'm kind of like, well, gosh, well, now I want to wear white all the time. Yeah, I think so. But but then I, it's conflicting, right? Because then if it's a symbol it of like, is, I don't have to work. like. But you're still working. I'm still working. It is. I don't know. I actually had this conversation with a lot of my friends because I was doing a show and the artist wanted all of the background people to wear all white. Okay. And none of us had all white. Like we all had white with something in it, but none of us had just base white pants or 
shirts. Yeah. So we couldn't wear all white. And then we started talking like, why don't any of us have all white? And I think it's because we know that there's a possibility that it could get dirty. That's why Just I from us being out every day, even if we're not working. Oh, but yeah. it's like if you brush up against a dirty car. If you just get onto the CTA. Anything. You're going to be filthy. You're done. Yeah. Or if you eat something and it, it's messy or anything, you're done for the entire day. I think there's a lot of truth to that because yeah. I tend to be like, okay, you know, stick to a budget with clothes. So I try to buy really practical stuff that'll last if I take care of it. And like wearing light colored stuff, it's like, well, if it gets stained, I'm screwed. Right. So there's that. Wear black. I got invited to um, this cool thing this summer. It was it was the the dinner in white. It's called Dîner en Blanc, and it happens in cities around the world. And I got invited to it this year, and it was so cool because everybody wears solid white. Mm -hmm. You don't know where the dinner will be. You have to bring a little table, all your silverware, plates, everything you need, and you order your food ahead. And then you show up at a secret location, and then they give you directions to where you're going to go. So like I met with it's like a so far sounds for meals. It's a what? Like a so far sounds for meals. Yes. Yes. Okay. So it's like a it's a pop up dinner. It's a flash mob dinner, but you don't know where it's going to be. I like it. It's really fun. It was and what I loved about it, it was the every single kind of person was there. It wasn't like a certain group of people or a certain class. It wasn't more men or women. It was a mix of everybody. Young, old, black, white, every color. Like it was awesome. It was so fun. And so my group met about, I mean, it was like 600 people. Wow. My group met, it was probably 70 of us, met in Chinatown at the, like that Zodiac Park, you know, where it's all the little Zodiac statues. We met there. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to find each other because you're all wearing white. Right. And everybody's schlepping all their stuff. And then the once we all signed in, the group leader said, okay, we're going to, and you don't know how you're going to travel. So they say, be ready to walk, be ready to take a train, bring your venture card. You might be on a bus. You don't. Buses pull up and they take us. And as we're get, we're trying to figure out where we're going, we don't know. And it was a daily plaza. Wow. And so we in 20 minutes, everybody was set up. These long lines of tables all set up. People went crazy, like decorating their tables with big fancy stuff. It was really fun. Some people had been doing it for years. There was like some sorority that had been doing it since the 50s or, or, or since the, you know, been having dinner parties since the 50s. And right. they had moved it. This started 1988, moved it to in the 80s to doing this and have been meeting for years. So it was like young women and old women. And it was fascinating. And then after dinner, DJ starts and people scoot out of the way. All of Daily Plaza turned into a dance floor. That is beautiful. I want to go to one of these. You should DJ it is what you should do. Because mm. music was good, but it was like, mm, mm, could be better. No DJ Cashera, but it could be better. But it was still pretty fun. Okay. And it was fun to be like. There were some people dancing. Of course, I, I never need a good reason to dance. I'm right. always like the first up. Same. There's a, you know, there was a couple and they're like, oh, we've been coming for years. We're in our 90s, whatever. And there was like young people. And it was awesome. It was so fun. I've never even heard of this. And then you pack up everything and you leave it as if nothing happened. Wow. So like nobody was ever there. Like nobody was ever there. So now every time I walk through Daily Plaza, I have a whole different feeling about it. Right. Because I'm Cause like, you had a whole party there. I danced there. But finding white stuff was really difficult because I was like, I'm not being white. It's hard. So here's what I did. I went to Ross Dress for Less. I mined that clearance rack. I found a dress that was missing a belt. And then I cut the bottom hem off a white t-shirt and made it a belt. Boom. Boom. There you go. I won. All white outfit. And the, cl- the dress was $8.49 on clearance. You're winning. I'm winning. Already. <laughs> I didn't have white shoes. I had nothing. <laughs> But some people had like big Kentucky Derby, like fascinators or big church hats or like 
Oh, they go all out in the all white. All out. People had okay. candelabras on their table. People had Eiffel Towers. Somebody had the replica of a Titanic made out of glitter. I don't know why that. What? That's not really a positive symbol, it's but little, you do you. It's a little different. Okay. <laughs> all right. But it was totally cool. It was really fun. Right. And I had heard of it. I had seen it on Instagram before, but experiencing it was was unlike anything else. I've seen. never heard of this. It was so fun. And it was and you're sitting, I mean, your tables have to touch. So on both sides of you there's strangers. It's a great way to make friends. And you you're me- making friends with people you've like otherwise would have never crossed paths with. Right. And they do a good mix of like you don't know so it's not all like everybody from this neighborhood meets here. So it's like a mix of people. It was totally fun. I am happy for you that you went. I am envious I didn't get to go. I want to go to the next one. Yeah, you got to go. You got to be there. How did how did you get an invite to this? Because I know somebody that went. So like once you go, then you're on the email or whatever. Ah, okay. Well, the next one, let me know. Yeah, we I will it. go. It'll be a thing. For it's sure. fun. You would love it. Thank we got to get you like a DJ gig though. We can do that too. I don't know that I know any VIPs there, but I'm going to work on that for you. Let me know. Be, that'd be so fun. If anybody has the poll, it is you. And if not, if not Chicago, maybe it's another city because it happened. It started in Paris, so it's cities around. Oh, so it goes to different cities. Oh, oh it's around the world. Oh, for sure, S- for real. If you ser- take me on tour with this, if you search this on Instagram, I'll tag you on something on Instagram. It's Please tag unbelievable. Me. I want to go on tour with them. There you go. You could just be like the official DJ, right? I just got to find a lot of white clothes. I don't know how I'm not your agent because I extol the virtues of your music all the time. I should be. If you, you need one, be. if you need one, I don't have a team at all. I, it's just me. I don't, you're, you're killing it. Thank you. If it's just you, I figured you had a team. All right. I'm a little overdue taking a break. I better take a break so yes. we can do some things. Coming up after the news here at 1.30, we're going to be talking with Demetrius Ivory from the WGN Weather Center. We're going to hear the latest about Hurricane Dorian. Lots to do on the show today. Back in just a bit here on 720 WGN. <laughs> WGN. Hello, it's Amy Guth with you until four o'clock. Thanks for being with us today. I love that song. I love Janet Jackson. That's such a good one. Thank you so much. You always play the best stuff. I'm telling you, you should be like the official music programmer or something. Do we, is that even a job you can, we have Actually, so like my dream job in radio is to become a uh, music director of a station. Oh, you would kill it doing that. Thank you. That'd be fun. Um, well, the dream job. I mean, I think there's power in speaking things into existence. Yeah. You know, I think that's a little woo woo, but you know, I think there's some truth to that. Sometimes you say stuff and you, I mean, for me, it usually just like gets me in a hot water. Cause I like when I, um, a couple summers ago when I jumped with the army out of mm-hmm. their plane, I was like, Hey, that'd be kind of cool. <laughs> see, I know like, so be careful what you say, but I could absolutely see you do that. That's the dream job. That's been the dream job for years oh well there you go clearly i'm seeing that for you thank you I <laughs> i'm on board it. okay well we've been talking a little bit about labor day and you know now i don't know if we're gonna have time we've got like so much stuff to do on the show today but one thing i would love to hear from you if you want to text us 312-981-7200 i don't know if we're gonna have a ton of time for calls but i'll get to as many texts as i can or you can tweet me at amy Guth. i would like to hear about the worst because it's Labor Day, we're thinking about the contributions of boss of of uh, workers and uh, and all that. So I want to hear about the worst job, the worst boss. Let's like do like Festivus, and you know you you uh, 
the airing of the grievances, like the worst boss you've ever had, the worst job you've ever had, maybe something like that. I would love to hear about it. I don't know. I've had a bunch of weird jobs. I would say that for sure. One of mine, one of my first jobs, because before you were 18 in the state where I grew up in Texas, there's certain jobs you could have and certain you could not because of because of the labor movement had put some child labor laws in effect for us. So, um, but one job you could have was I was selling ice cream bars out of a little cart at an airport, but it was not like a passenger airport. It was a cargo airport. So I was basically selling ice cream bars to cargo plane pilots and people unloading the cargo. So it was not very busy. So at any given time, there were maybe 50 people at this airport. But that was my job to just sell ice cream. It was probably I was like probably an inadvertent drug mule and I don't even know it. But uh, that's what I was doing. What about uh, what about you, Sarah? Any like worst job ever that you've had or worst boss? While we're waiting for all the texts to pour in. Um, mm, worst job ever. Don't say here. Don't say here. Don't say here. No, no, no. Def- this is best no. job ever. Yeah, that's great. Here. Um, I think worst job ever would probably be a tie with a movie theater I worked at okay. or a car wash I worked at. Now that song Car Wash is going to be in my head. Yeah, it was. It's, just, it's a tie between those two. I think it's only a tie because like with the movie theater... It was almost like they wanted to brainwash you. Like, if what? you didn't eat, sleep, breathe working at the movie theater, they had an issue with you. And then with the car wash, the energy there was just so negative. Because mm, I was working there during my undergrad. Yeah. And I was like, you know, um, I need these days off because of DJing. And everybody would look at me like, oh, but is DJing really going to get you anywhere? Like, you're going to get more consistent hours and pay here if you just put in more work here. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, mm, I quit. There you go. (laughs) That was it. I worked at a, I won't say what, but a large retail chain in high school for a minute. And it was a clothing store. And uh, there may or may not be one on Michigan Avenue. That was not the one I worked in. Okay. Um, This was out of state. But um, I was asked to fold sweaters. And there was like a board. You had to wrap the sweater around. So they were all folded in a certain way. And then tuck the, the price tag in to the sweater. Okay. Their idea was once you touch the sweater to pull the price tag out, you've already invested in it by touching it. That was their whole thing. Whatever. Okay. I just thought it looked tidier. Anyway. See, but once I look at the tag, I tuck I, I it back in if I don't like I know the that I'm like, mm, I'm like, it's mm, a lot of my... I don't need that. Yeah, right? So I left the price tag out on one of the red sweaters and the boss pulled me into this room and she was, okay, I only minored in psychology, but I believe since you left a tag out on the red sweater that you probably have some really deep anger issues. And I'm suddenly frightened because what if they erupt in the workplace? And I was like, I, I don't really, I'm what? pretty chill. She was, but the red is a tell. The red is a, is a signifier. I was like, no, it's just a red sweater. It's just a red sweater. And it was an accident. I won't let the price tag out again. She was like, I'm very worried about this. We should have some check-ins and some one-on-ones. And I was like, what? Or I could just leave. <laughs> this yeah, is I'd be like, ah, you can keep your red sweater. I know. Ah, I mean, luckily leave. I was, you know, in high school and I had two different jobs. So I was able to like boost my hours at the other one and let that job go. And I know it's easier said than done. You can always just like walk off a job when right. things are going badly. But uh, yeah, that was one. But anyway, give us a text. 312-981-7200. Tell us about the worst job you've ever had. The worst boss you've ever had. <laughs> Seven twenty WGN. Hey there, it's Amy Guth. I'm with you till four o'clock. We're gonna get you to some pregame and then game time. 
lots to do between now and then. Uh, I know it's Labor Day. You're celebrating, doing stuff, hopefully. But also, I want to keep you updated on the latest with Hurricane Dorian. Uh, there's a lot there here in just a bit. We're going to be talking with Demetrius Ivory from the WGN Weather Center. Uh, you know, lots going on there. And a little bit later, we're going to check in with Ryan Burrow in the 3 o'clock hour uh, to learn a little bit about travel delays and things like that that have been going on as a result. A lot of people are moving around, uh, moving around with air travel here during Labor Day weekend. And of course, of course, Hurricane Dorian not helping matters. So there's been a ton of flight cancellations, a lot going on there. I think we got Demetrius Ivory with us now from the WGN Weather Center. Hey there. How are you? Hey there, good to be speaking with you. Thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate your time. So, you know, I think we've all been a little bit overwhelmed with information on Hurricane Dorian. What is the latest at this hour? Well, the latest is the winds are down. Uh, it's weakening slowly, which was expected. The winds are down to about 150 miles per hour. Pressure's up in a big way. It's up to 938 millibars. It dropped down to as low as 911 uh, earlier. So now uh, with the pressure down or up, excuse me, a little bit, we expect for the winds to continue to diminish. Um, the thing is, at 150 miles per hour, it's still a strong Category 4 storm. Um, it dropped from Category 5 status a few hours ago and could potentially uh, kind of maintain this intensity, not forecast to become Cat 5 again. But it's also not really moving. It's moving west-northwest at only one mile per hour. It's an extremely slow mover. I mean, what is the usual speed that a hurricane is moving over a land area? So as they get uh, as they get to higher latitudes, or, or uh, in this case, more north, they typically speed up. So they, you know, put it this way: by the time they get here to Chicago, or you know, in this latitude, obviously they're usually not tropical by then. They're going some 25, 30 miles an hour. Um, sometimes, you know, the movement can all can vary, but down there, I mean, typically we see them. You know, I'm just just kind of as a rough number. I'd say 10 to 15 miles per hour, uh, maybe even more. Uh, as they're down there, but uh, this one is not. This one was had no motion yesterday, and now it's only going at one mile per hour. You know, it's an interesting time to watch natural disasters because of social media. We, you know, yeah. we can see people posting videos from, you know, there's a lot of video and a lot of tweets coming from uh, the Bahamas yesterday that were really just gutting to see and really, really awful. But I think it's also very interesting. I follow a ton of meteorologists on Twitter, and it was so interesting to watch analysis happening yesterday and the things that were being noted, in particular, the 911 millibars that you noted, it seemed like a, there was a lot of reaction to that. What is the context there? Uh, well, that, I mean, that's that's a pretty low uh, a low number. This is actually tied for you know when you uh, kind of focus on the wind speeds too. It's tied for the second strongest on record. Um, and you have to go back to the Labor Day storm, which you know kind of on the, at the same time. I believe that was 1935. So um, so you know when, when the pressure kind of drops like that, we know that this is an intense storm that's going to stay strong as that pressure goes up. We know that eventually the winds will start to go down, but uh, it was. You know, pretty amazing how quickly this storm really just became such a powerful major hurricane, Category 5, um, and then held on to that intensity for over 24 hours. That is not unheard of, but it's quite unusual. Yeah, I mean, as I was just sitting there watching it, churning over the Bahamas yesterday, I thought, oh, this is just not good. And and now that it's moving so slowly, still with a lot of intensity, that's, I mean, to me, that speaks to once we can kind of see the light of day in, in the Bahamas and see what's going on, it seems like there's going to be just really, really uh, widespread damage there. Yeah, and you know, honestly, I do not want to see 
Uh, I mean, I, you know, we're going to have to, but I, I am really a little bit nervous about when video comes out uh, from the Bahamas. The Grand Bahama Island is about 96 miles long, uh, and uh, the hurricane force winds extend out 45 miles in each direction. So you're basically covering the entire island outside of the eye with hurricane force winds. Um, the highest elevation on Grand Bahama Island is 40 feet above sea level. Um, so they're, and they're talking about a storm surge potentially up to 23 feet. So there's literally nowhere you can go on that island to be dry. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, little, you know, uh, so I think the devastation there, uh, Freeport, I know a lot of folks uh, from the U.S. know that area. It's a place where a lot of people go. It's not very expensive to go to in the, be- in the beaches. It's just a, a beautiful location. I bet that area is really going to be um, just, you know, I'm going to say decimated. Yeah, uh, yeah. Some of the some of the uh, videos coming out of there yesterday already just really, really looked gutting. It looks like that's going to be a long recovery. So, so I know there's been a lot of conversation about the timing of this hurricane shifting north and all these predictive models. At what point does that model start to make you nervous? Of like, hey, it's not going north fast enough. Uh, well, already. Okay. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, the good news is it's stationary, so, you know, a, one, a move one mile per hour here or there is not really a big deal. Obviously, you don't want uh, you don't want it over one island for this long. I mean, if it's going to stall, at least stall out to stall over mm-hmm. sea. Um, but, you know, as we get to 8 o'clock tonight, so certainly by 8 tomorrow morning, we need to see a move toward the north. Uh, if not, then our models, because there are some models which, you know, almost bring it straight to Florida still. Mm-hmm. And those are not, uh, it's not that they're invalid. It's just that the mean, you know, we run all types of models and all the members, you know, you kind of average them out and kind of go with the middle because some of them are going to have it, you know, central Atlantic and some of them are going to bring it right across Florida. So that's kind of the, you know, kind of the consensus pick that it's going to, that Dorian will slide up the coast and not make a landfall in Florida. Um, as we get into the evening hours, 8 p.m. and after that, we need to start seeing some movement toward the north, more movement toward the north. If not, um, you know, I think that you got to lean towards adjusting that track a little bit more west, which is not good news. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I wonder, any time, for as good as social media is for us to see what's happening in areas otherwise we would have to wait to get reporters into, um, you know, sometimes I think big stories can, can kind of get out of control really quickly. What is the thing that you see, um, you know, just given your expertise in this area, what is the thing people miss a lot when they're talking about hurricanes or maybe that's missing in the social media narrative about them? I think the social media narrative is is really uh, something that we have to examine because I think that it's really getting to a dangerous point. Um, and this is, you know, just me speaking just as kind of a human being watching people take boats out into this thing uh say we're going to wait it out and here's our party we're going to facebook live it um you know for the most part you're only going to see the videos of the folks who survived it mm-hmm. you know um i i think there is certainly the potential i mean you know r- people are risking their lives for clicks yeah. you know basically and they're getting a lot of clicks and i think that you know uh, not unlike how with teens and with young folks, how it uh, can really adjust their confidence and kind of how they act. I think it's doing that, too, with adults, um, where it's, you know, this person is becoming, you know, we'll, we'll bring them on to the news and all that. I waited out the storm, and it's, you know, you risked your life and everybody who's with you 
for this for the storm um and no one no one can really come help you until it passes by so i'm really you know just like everyone else i'm fascinated by looking at the clips and things like that but at the same time i personally try not to show any video or any clip where i know the person is risking their life um yeah, it's just not good. Yeah, I was thinking about that yesterday because there was one in particular where someone was was filming uh, a lot of this huge storm surge coming up, and and I'm like, well, well, then wait a minute. It sounds like you're standing in knee deep water. Get the heck out of there. What are you doing right now? And so I, I I try not to share any of those. Also, I can't verify them. You know, we don't. We sometimes see the the same video being shared by twenty different people saying, oh, this is from my cousin. I was like, well. You're not all the yeah. same person. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I, I agree. I mean, you, you want to verify it and, and uh, you know, it's just, and, uh, you know, that stuff is going to make it on the news. I mean, you know, on the news and, and even on your feed, it's, it's going to happen because it's spectacular. Mm-hmm. But I personally, if someone is risking their life, and I can see it, even in the thunderstorm here in Chicago, you know, if someone is risking their life, thunderstorms or flooding or something like that, and I just personally would rather not even show it, you know, because it's just, it just makes people, it just gives people more incentive to do that. Uh, I saw one where a guy was in a, a, an inflatable raft and I, and I mean, he had to be looking at waves at least 10, 11 feet going out into it. I don't understand, you know, no, you couldn't pay me enough to do that. I was going to say no, no Instagram like trending on Instagram or Twitter like no trending would be worth that. <laughs> to me, that sounds I, I horrible. Don't, yeah, I, I don't think so. I mean, the rest of your family is going to be wondering, you know, uh, you know, it's just uh, why did you do that? It's just uh, I don't know. There's no glory to that. No, I don't want that on my headstone. Like went out really, you know, risking her life for Twitter. I don't want that. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right. Well, thanks so much. We'll keep an eye on things at the the Weather Center. And thanks for the update on Hurricane Dorian. Appreciate your time. Demetrius Ivory. Thank you very much. Anytime you need it. Thanks so much. WGN. It's Amy Guth. Thanks for being with me today, spending your part of your Labor Day with us. I'm telling you, you are you are listening to the soundtrack of my brain. You're playing all my favorites. That's such a good song, too. Good one. Well, uh, with thanks to Demetrius Ivory for joining us for a conversation about Hurricane Dorian. We're going to be talking a little bit later uh, in the next hour. We're going to be talking with a professor at the College of Meteorology for a little bit more context about hurricanes. We're not going to focus as much on Dorian there. We're just talk generally about hurricanes. Well, we probably will. But nonetheless, uh, some more information there. And then a little bit later, we'll talk with Ryan Burrow about how the hurricane is impacting traffic or air travel, rather, because a lot of people have been been, you know, traveling for Labor Day weekend, and they're trying to come home. Well, that's not going to work so well, right? So there's that. But I want to keep on that topic of Hurricane Dorian for a second, because on Sunday, Bloomberg reported that Hurricane Dorian would cause, quote, at least $25 billion of losses for insurers, which is, uh, gosh, when you start looking at the numbers, the economic fallout of hurricanes, it is really, really significant. So here's some numbers to kind of put this in perspective a little bit, because even though Bloomberg reported $25 billion, uh, that number is set to rise as for, uh, as high as $40 billion. So $40 billion is also the equivalent of the annual GDP of Jordan. It's also a little bit more than um, 
Mackenzie Bezos, uh, ex-wife of Jeff Bezos, CEO of Amazon. Mackenzie Bezos has just a little bit more, uh, or a little bit less than forty million or forty billion in uh, stake in Amazon. So we're talking about like what is a huge and hard hard to imagine number, but like for the Bezos family, psh, that's like. That they got that much change in their ashtrays, probably. Uh, but nonetheless, so if we look at these numbers in terms of total loss and then the insured loss, and, and you know, a lot of these have complicated stuff to them, right? Because I know when we talk about Hurricane Katrina, there was a lot of stuff that was not quite resolved to everyone's liking. There was a lot of issues, you know. A lot of people were kind of uh, frustrated with FEMA. A lot of people were frustrated with their insurers. I know some people who were personally, you know, what they were given from their insurance, and they believed they had good insurance. But what they were given at the end of the day was like, that doesn't replace my house. It doesn't even get me enough to get back on my feet. They, you know, relocated to another place. So that's this, this, I, I say these numbers recognizing this can be pretty complicated, but let's look at some past hurricanes. So Katrina, the total loss reported was 125 billion. That is an unbelievable amount of money. The total insured loss was 60.5 billion. Um, Harvey, which is the one that hit the Texas Gulf area last, I'm sorry, two years ago. That was in uh, 2017. That was August, September, right around this, this kind of, this time uh, of the year, in fact. That was a $95 billion loss with a $30 billion of insured loss there. Um, when we look at Hurricane Maria, that's another complicated one, right? Because we still are seeing those impacts in, in Puerto Rico. And there was a lot that still needed to be resolved in Florida after Hurricane Irma when Maria struck. So that was kind of two back-to-back incidents uh, that, that made things really complicated. So Maria had a $68.6 billion loss total. Uh, nearly $30 billion of that was insured. So what was like the trend, the reason I'm rattling these numbers off, the trend is like generally only about half of that is insured loss. Like when we look at the the total loss number, but you know it still remains to be seen. As we were talking with Demetrius Ivory just a bit ago, a lot is riding on what the next few hours look like for Hurricane Dorian. You know, as he was explaining, there's all those models. We you know we talked the spaghetti model. There's a lot of different paths there, and you kind of take the mean and look at kind of what's what's in the middle there. And and some of those did say, well, maybe here's what it would look like if it went through Florida. Here's what it looks like if it goes north. But he was saying, you know, if we don't see that north turn, it's it's kind of tracking west northwest. But if we don't see that north turn here pretty soon, uh, you know, he said he's kind of in that moment now where it's kind of time to be rethinking that model and rethinking like, well, maybe this is going to do something different. Already evacuation orders for a lot of people in coastal areas. I know I was looking at the Weather Channel prior to prior to the show today. And they were talking with a lot of public officials in those areas. I know uh, a lot of a lot of those states had started reversing toll roads and waiving tolls so that people didn't have to worry about, you know, oh, my toll pass isn't loaded or I don't, you know, I don't get paid this week. You know, it's not about money. It's about getting you out of here. But, you know, I think an interesting study would be too the cost of evacuation. I remember um, during Hurricane Harvey, uh, as I was saying to Demetrius, I, I'm interested to look at Twitter during those times because a lot of meteorologists are giving really good real-time insight on things that are being reported and things that are happening. But also people are talking about, you know, what they're experiencing and showing, you know, photos of, of where they are and what's going on. And a lot of people are on their rooftops on in during, during Hurricane Harvey. And, um, you know, there was just, there was such like, 
I don't know. There's always just like really uh, frustrating stuff for any disaster, right? It's never an ideal situation. But but there were people I remember um, seeing tweeting about like they they couldn't. They're like, well, I'm going to stay put. I can't really afford a hotel. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. And that's a very real thing. I mean, if you can't, if you're like, okay, I'm on a really tight budget. I can't afford. I can maybe put some gas in the car, but I don't know how far it can get me. And then I got to buy food for my family while we're at a hotel or, you know, even a like a, the Motel 6 is not free. You know, there's a there's things like that. I mean, I I have it pains me. I don't live closer to an area like that because I would be like, all right, who who's got my couch? You can sleep on the dining room floor. I got you. We can, we can figure this out. I wish there were, you know, and I know it's it's weird the idea of opening your house to a stranger but i think in these kind of times we just got to do it we got to we got to take care of each other we got to be smart we got to be prepared um you know and i'm saying this here in the midwest where i mean we get clobbered with snow but we don't have um you know earthquakes and and hurricanes and wildfires to contend with we're we're fairly isolated from most disasters here but you know i i do worry about the time and i worry i would love to see some numbers around the economic impact of or the 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 average cost of what it takes to evacuate you know i think for you know say a family of four to put gas in the car get your pet get your food get your things and and get out of there it's it's a lot of time it's money it's you know a lot of stuff so i think i always i'm always i worry for people that's my thing i worry way too much but i worry about people that i don't even know and uh you know things being rough for them so anyway there's that but i will again for those of you who follow me on twitter i'm going to be sure and tweet out the link to this story um about the economic fallout from hurricanes because it's really i mean it's really pretty fascinating to think about this these high levels of numbers and and really just what it takes to uh you know to rebuild and then insurance is complicated we should have we should have maybe gotten somebody from an insurance company uh on the phone or something today although i'm sure they're quite busy today talking with lots of people um you know of uh, how do you recover after something like that when you know there's disaster relief like red cross organization um which you know i've done some work with before they're about getting you through the initial days of recovery they're not really there for the long term they're there for the initial and then you refer people to you know longer term care I also think it's worth thinking about what is the, you know, emotional impact of things like that. Um, you know, going through a natural disaster, there's there's stress, there's stuff, there's uh, there's a lot to that. So I don't know. I'm just I'm worried about everybody today, because Sarah, that's the thing. I'm worried about everybody. Everybody. Ugh, well, okay, we got to take a break here pretty soon. Uh, coming up in the two o'clock hour, we're going to be talking with the president of Citizens for a Scenic Wisconsin. They're going to be talking about uh, he's going to be talking about. A, uh, an upcoming conference that's uh, all about Wisconsin conservation and tourism and lots there. It's a really, I had not heard about this conference until uh, I, I got this link sent to me and I, I kind of got down the rabbit hole of, of really, you know, all these people coming together to uh, talk about this one topic. We're going to be uh, talking with him and then at 2.30 we're going to be talking with Nancy Dignan. She is a Florida-based meteorologist and professor at the College of Meteorology. So lots of good questions there. If you want to text us any questions for her more about the science end of hurricanes or something specific about hurricane dorian feel free 312-981-7200 and of course throughout the show i would love to hear because it is labor day when i like to do things like festivus airing of the grievances style if you want to text us anything about the worst job you've ever had or the worst boss or something like that 312-981-7200 i'm all about the text today you know why i'm all about the text i'm really bad about like keeping, I don't want to cut callers off. 
And so when when I'm like, oh, but I got to go to break, <laughs> I feel bad cutting people off. Yeah, texting is easier because then you can go back and read those as you need and to. And you can read the good ones. You're like, oh, so-and-so has a fun story or this right. is a good, you know, but but like callers, I don't want to, sometimes the story's so good. I get caught up and then I'm like 10 minutes late to, not 10, but like three minutes late to news. Right. And then I'm in trouble because I didn't want to be rude. Right. Seven twenty WGN. Hey there, it's Amy Guth with you till four o'clock. Hanging out in the next couple hours. Thanks for keeping me company and spending time with me on your Labor Day. Hope you're relaxing and time off from your labors and just able to chill for a bit. But for those of you also working, shout out to you for uh, working on a holiday for sure. All right, so we are joined now by Gary. Go- uh, sorry, Gary Goyke. I'm sorry, I can't even read my own writing. And he is the president of Citizens for a Scenic Wisconsin, and he joins us now by phone to talk about an upcoming conference, the 2019 Scenic Wisconsin Leadership Conference. Gary, welcome to the program. Thanks for being with us today. Well, good afternoon. Good afternoon to all your listeners. This is great. Thank you uh, for having us on the show today. Oh, gladly. Thanks for taking the time on Labor Day to join us. So to talk to us about... It's beautiful here in Wisconsin right now. It's beautiful here in Chicago, too, for sure. A little bit of clouds out there, but it's mostly sunny and lovely. It's great. Well, so tell us about this conference that you have coming up. We are a part of Scenic America, which really started... Uh, with Lady Bird Johnson and the Highway Beautification uh, Programs. And we have a group here in Wisconsin, and we are doing our first ever Scenic Wisconsin Leadership Conference in Wauwatosa, just uh, outside of Milwaukee. And we're doing that in October, a beautiful time of the year to visit. And we are focusing, um, quite interestingly, on, on a new office that our state created, uh, Wisconsin just created an Office of Outdoor Recreation as part of our Department of Tourism. And it's, so it's not just uh, water parks, which are great, or it's getting people outdoors and promoting uh, more activities, more exercise, taking advantage of the scenic beauty of the state. So we're very excited about, uh, about doing this, and I, I appreciate the station's interest in letting people know about it. Oh, certainly. It's it's an interesting conference because I was reading through the website and looking at uh, some of the, the sessions that are on the agenda, and it seems like this very interesting uh, intersection of of health and activity and recreation and tourism and history and conservation kind of all in one thing. Absolutely right. So we, we believe in uh, agricultural tourism as well, since the state... About a third of our economy in Wisconsin is related to agriculture. About a third is related to tourism, and the other third into manufacturing. And so this is important for us to to look at that. So you're going to notice on uh, that agenda that we talk about barns, and, of course, we're talking about farmland. Unfortunately, Wisconsin ranks number one in the nation for the current rate of foreclosures on farms. So part of what we're doing is to say, how can a small farm or any farm stay in operation by maybe doing a pumpkin patch or a corn maze or raising some kind of uh, a new crop or specializing in animals? So we want to promote that end of our state to make sure that people can continue to live in the communities that they love and, uh, and cherish 
and so we're gonna we're intersecting uh, with the barn preservation farm preservation programs along with urban interests to get out and exercise as you say and and enjoy the the beautiful lands that Wisconsin has. And our governor, our new governor, is very supportive in that new office of tourism. This is a young woman that was a marketing director for the Wisconsin Film Festival, and she has become the secretary of tourism. She is your age, and she is she's dynamite, and she's bringing a lot of new um, interest to this whole subject. That's so, it is, it's a very interesting subject. And, and I know I've been reporting on and thinking about and talking about agriculture lately and, and all the, uh, there's a lot going on for farmers right now, particularly in light of the tariffs and the, uh, the, the growing season, the, you know, the, the rain delayed a lot of planting. Oh, and, it is, you're absolutely right. I mean, all of these factors, uh, uh, pull into this. We also have the gentleman who, started wedding barns, and there's a little controversy with this. Some of the local bartenders don't necessarily like to have a wedding barn outside of town where a wedding can be held, but these are generally historic barns that are used for special occasions, but they're really promoted in our state as wedding destinations, and uh, they've been very popular and really a lot of fun. Uh, There are young couples that want to get out and experience that, or they themselves or their parents grew up on farms. And they uh, the, the setting to the whole theme of the wedding, what your family is like, you know, who's all in your family, where are they from, uh, is another part of that as well. That's so interesting. And, and, you know, I think in an age of social media when it's all about getting the picture you know, for so many people. It is, you're right. Yeah. No, absolutely it is. But this is, I'm just excited about the new leadership in this department because it is Wisconsin's economy really does depend on tourism Mm -hmm. wherever we can be creative and branch out into areas. Plus it's good for our health. It's good for urban kids to get out and explore and to get to know the parks better. So we're going to be promoting a lot of that. The city of Wauwatosa is about 47,000 people right next to Milwaukee. We have the mayor of Wauwatosa coming uh, we have um, we have other elected officials that are coming to speak to us about what they intend to do to enhance tourism. Very bipartisan. We try to keep it uh, with what's good for the state of Wisconsin. What was the catalyst for you for creating this conference and, and having all this together? What's your kind of guiding star here? It was actually a fear that we're losing uh, some of those battles mm. and that we need to re- Reinvent. I mean, Lady Bird Johnson, who I mentioned at the start of our interview, talked about highway beautification, which is how we got started. That's part of it. Uh, people do spend a lot of time on their car, and they do want the surroundings to be peaceful and beautiful. And so we've taken it a step further in Wisconsin, and we say, well, that scenic beauty where you're going to could be on a bike, it could be on a hiking trail, it could be on a boat or a canoe. And uh, we just, we want to preserve what we have and we want to let people know we're serious. We want to fight these battles. We, we know this is good public policy and we're not going to go away. We're going to be there. And so the conference is there to remind people that uh, and gather others, new people, uh, to, to what we're doing in the state. And at the end of the conference, what is the the pie in the sky for you of what you will have hopefully accomplished by the end of it? 
Um, we're really looking to get more young people involved. The people who are in the barn preservation movement have a touch more gray hair than you do. I don't know. <laughs> and, I got a lot. <laughs> oh, you, well, it's premature. Uh, it's, uh, it's, we, we want to make sure that the young families get a chance to um, be talked to, and so we're focusing on things, our public lands, our state treasurer is going to speak about all the lands that are in forest that Wisconsin currently has and how the revenues from those are done. And we and that goes to support libraries in our state, which, of course, is for young people in the school system. And so we want to enhance those programs. We want to re-educate the public, and we want to ask them to join hands and to help us uh, have a scenic Wisconsin. That's what we're really all about. Wonderful. And so how can people get involved, maybe uh, who aren't in Wisconsin or just nearby, maybe those in Illinois? How can they support Well, there this? are chapters in other states. Illinois does have um, people that are very active as well, uh, as does uh, Iowa and Minnesota. Uh, your listening audience goes into Indiana as well. I know there are people there. But those uh, you mentioned the social media sites and the websites we do have. Um, a scenic Wisconsin uh, citizens for a scenic Wisconsin uh, website, and they can get in touch with us. We'll do our best to respond. Um, this whole barn preservation, wedding barn, building green belts around communities, are things that we can do. Uh, we don't need permission to do them. We can just gather together and come up with ways in which to achieve that in small ways, and it all makes a big difference uh, in the long run. Yeah, it sounds like it. Well, it's really, really great work that you're doing there, and I appreciate you joining us great. today to talk about it. Oh, I'm honored. I'm very honored, and happy Labor Day to you, too. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Okay. All right, bye-bye. Bye. All right, that was Gary Goyke. He is the president of Citizens for a Scenic Wisconsin. For those of you who follow me on Twitter, I'm going to be sure and tweet out a link to the conference he was talking about, as well as to that organization, because it's a really interesting idea there. And I love this, this, you know, what other topic can you bring health and recreation and tourism and like you know, historic preservation and environmental conservation all together and under one roof? Not many. That's what. So pleasure talking with him about that. Seven twenty, WGN. It's Amy Guth with you till four o'clock. Is it just me, or does this song remind you of Real Genius? Do you remember that movie? It's a classic from the eighties. I never saw it. Oh, it's good. There's this great scene at the end. They, you know, it's comeuppance for a guy who really deserves it. He's really a jerk the whole movie. And these wonderfully smart students have created this circumstance under which a laser will hit his house and turn into a giant jiffy pop. So there's popcorn everywhere. They're laughing. The song is playing. It's so good. It's so good because it's comeuppance, but it's not like he doesn't get murdered. He just gets his house filled with popcorn. Which is great. Actually, that's not really a punishment. That's kind of awesome. I want that to happen to me. Okay, speaking of things happening to me, I have something in common with the Pope. At long last, the Pope and I have something in common. At long last. Here it is. It's not like it's like a big shocker. (laughs) I think it's possible. Well, here it is. So uh, on Sunday, after uh, after his weekly address, the Pope got rescued by firefighters because he got stuck in an elevator for 25 minutes. He apologized. Um... I'm sorry, not after. It was ahead of. It was before. So he was late. So he apologized to the crowds gathered there at uh, St. Peter's Square in the Vatican City. And so he showed up late and he said he was 
very sorry. And he said, um, dear brothers and sisters, good morning. First of all, I have to apologize for being late, but I had an unexpected event. I've been stuck in an elevator for 25 minutes. He said there was a drop in voltage and the elevator stopped. Uh, My thank goodness the firemen arrived and I thank them so much. After 25 minutes of work, they managed to get it started again. A round of applause for the firefighters, he said. That's nice of him. Okay, I was not stuck for 25 minutes, but here in this very building uh, where WGN Radio exists and lives and thrives, I was uh, very briefly, I'm not talking hours, I'm talking just minutes, couple minutes, um, stuck in the elevator last week. And it just sort of stopped for a minute. I don't know why. And it didn't really get started and just sort of like shuddered for a minute. But I was in the elevator with somebody else. And I mean, 45 seconds in, this guy really started to have a meltdown. He was really concerned about it. And then I was like, oh, well, it's a busy weekday. You know, no, we will be noticed. It will be minutes before you know someone will notice very quickly we will be missed yeah like people will notice us because they need us to do work whoever right. you are sir um and i was just kind of being nonchalant about it but he was really freaking out and i don't want to make light of like who knows you know i i like to be curious rather than judgmental so who knows what kind of trauma this man had in his life but i was like dude you gotta calm down and the, the calmer i was the more upset he seemed to get he was really like, how can you be so calm about this? Like, he was like, I can't even breathe. It's so stuffy. And I was like, ah, no, it's, it's fine. It's, hey, just, you know, it's cool. They're going to, they're going to come looking for it. It's fine, you right. know. And plus, you know, security, they got that wall that shows all the elevators and all the alarms and all the stuff right there in the lobby. Like, right. they're going to see this. They see that we're not going anywhere. They're going to see. They're going to see you panicking right now. Yeah, they're going to, they're going to know. They're going to come get us. And we were stuck about the seventh or so floor. Really, it was only minutes. And this guy was like, I hate to laugh because I feel bad, but he, because it was clearly very traumatic to him, but I was really like, am I getting punked? Like, is this a joke? I'm on, who's doing this? I'm on candid camera and this is a big joke for me. I don't know what's happening. I don't know why, but no, he was very upset. I get it. Claustrophobia is a real thing. Right. I get a little, it's more crowds for me. I'm like, "Mm, I don't trust, it's people, I don't trust people. Right. (laughs) So it's like, oh, crowds kind of, kind of skeeve me out and elevators are his thing. But he went from like, you know, I got on the elevator. Hi, good morning. Thanks for holding the door. And then he was like, oh, my God, it's going to. I mean, 45, not 45 seconds is probably overestimating. Have happened. you seen him since? No. I mean, I kind of been looking for him. Too, I That's why I paused. He, I was like, do you remember what floor he got off on? Uh, I don't. That's a good question. It mm. wasn't long before ours. So it's I got I can't I don't remember what's on what. So floor. he's not on the same floor as us. No, he doesn't work here. Okay. No, no, no. It was a different floor. But he was really having a meltdown. Poor guy. I hope he's working it out. I mean, look, look, PTSD is a real thing. It is. You know what I mean? And it's weird how it comes out. I mean, I was in a car crash years ago. It's 2004. And when I'm stressed out, my resilience to that comes up. Like if I hear squealing tires, I'm like, Ooh! Mm. or if I'm in the car and someone like turns quickly, I'm like, oh, yeah. I'll still kind of jump. The more stressed out I am, the more likely I am to react to that. Right. You know, so I'm a complete nightmare to be in the car with because I'm like, oh, and, I, oh, and I'm like always yeah. jumping and making people nervous. And that's my thing. And that's his thing. Who knows? He could have been in an elevator that plummeted for floors. I feel bad, but or I was it could like. even be something that he doesn't even understand. Because like I have a tendency to flinch if someone raises their hand too quickly. But I've never been hit before a day in my oh. life. 
That's interesting. Yeah. So it could just be one of those things. Yeah. I don't know why I flinch. My mom hates it. She's like, you jump like I've beat you. All I was going to say, your mom's like, come on, people are going to think I've beat you. Right. And it's, <laughs> it, I've never been hit. But if you raise your hand too quickly around me, I jump. Like I jump and I brace for impact. Gosh. Yeah, I don't know. Everybody take note. No, take no note. sudden movements don't around either one of us. Too fast around <laughs> me. But yeah, it might be one of those things for him. Or I like, know. Or maybe he's had like a bad dream about it. Yeah, maybe that's his thing. Yeah. I or, mean, my... I, you know I worry about have falling. The CoStar app. I feel like the CoStar app might have got to him. The CoStar app, the you, the you horoscopes. Know what yeah, yeah, yeah. The, like that app just will give you the most odd predictions sometimes. That's true. And then you start like looking for things that could fit it. That's true. So it could have been something that he just applied to whatever he was read or like read about or seen something. I don't it, know. It's like when your horoscope says today is a two. Yeah. It's going to be uphill all day. Exactly. It's a struggle bus for you, sir. Yes. And he's and then probably you start like, looking Man. for it. Yeah, may uh, who knows. Who knows. I mean, I, I and at one point I was like, "Hey, it's you know, we're it's it's fine. It's totally fine." He was like, "How are you so calm?" I was like, "I mean, it's it's cool. We're going to be okay. We're going to make it. It's right. fine." Someone's going to notice that we're here. Now, if we were in there for like, you know, 25 minutes like the pope was in his elevator, I'd be like, "Okay. All right. So, I'm starting to <laughs> You know, let's go. Let's go. Kind of get a little concerned here. I mean, um, my biggest thing is like by the time I get here, like get off the train and walk over here and get in the elevator, I usually have to pee. So my thing would be like, oh man, we got to get us oh, to pee. Yeah, I didn't even think about that part. Yeah, so that's that, true. That'd be my worry. But otherwise, I'd be like, you know, sorry. This isn't too bad. I can't. I, I could use a break right now. It's fine. Yeah. I could. Really? I'm, although, was it Rick Pearson? No, it was Steve Dale who one time did his show from an elevator. Did you really? Do you remember that? I no. I, it's somewhere in the in the logger. We could find this episode. He got stuck, and I feel like Rick Pearson emailed him what he needed, and then they just and his wife was in. able to like put it through the door of the elevator, and he what? was able to, and he did it by phone. I think I remember thinking like, "Wow, Rick Pearson did such an awesome thing to help him." <laughs> He's <laughs> a hero. <laughs> but he like. <laughs> emailed his wife and his wife something like that like emailed somebody who was able to like feed stuff through the elevator door to him or text him or something like that okay but he apparently did the whole show from an elevator elevator. once this was probably three or four years ago oh it was before i started working here yeah that was a good one (laughs) wow anyway there you have it i wonder if steve prefers to take stairs now when he leaves his apartment i wonder if he's like hey trying to let that go why you keep bringing it up (laughs) go listening right now trying to put that behind me thanks guys (laughs) A couple years ago, my producer didn't even know about it. Stop why, bringing why, it up. Why you got to bring up old stuff? <laughs> right. Anyway. All right. Well, uh, on the other side of news here, we're going to be talking with a professor at the College of Meteorology, getting some big, good scientific perspective about hurricanes and hurricane season. So stick around for that for sure. But right now, we're going to take a break, get your news, all that good stuff here on 720 WGN. Because Sarah, no, you did not play this song right now. You did that. You went there. You're playing the Scorpions Hurricane song. We are trying to discuss weather. For shame. All right. I knew you were going to do it eventually. (laughs) Anyway, 720 WGN. It's Amy Guth here with you till four o'clock. We've been talking about a ton of subjects today, but one we keep going back to, of course, is 
you might have predicted. Uh, we're talking about Hurricane Dorian because that is a, a lot of focus on that because there's, you know, a lot of uh, issues that Demetrius Ivory pointed out when we talked to him in the last hour from the WGN Weather Center about some things that are atypical about it. We're joined now by Nancy Dignan, who is a Florida-based meteorologist and professor at the College of Meteorology, here to talk with us also about Dorian. Nancy, welcome to the show. Thanks for sharing part of your Labor Day with us. Thanks for inviting me, Amy. I appreciate it. Well, certainly, I'm happy to have your expertise and knowledge here with us today. And so, you know, what has been standing out to you as we've been watching, uh, maybe not even just Dorian, but but the hurricane season so far this year? What has been most significant to you? Um, In terms of the timing, I think, you know, we typically hit the peak of the hurricane season as we approach the middle of August. So I think it's timed out exactly you know, when things really start heating up and there's a little bit more in terms of activity. Um, the thing that is so unusual, and I actually was just looking at the data to make sure I was right when I, I looked at this, and I actually wrote it down. At 8 o'clock this morning, the advisory said that the center of Dorian was 120 miles to the east of uh, West Palm Beach. At 3 o'clock this afternoon, the position update, and this is 3 o'clock on the eastern, in the eastern time zone, it was 105 miles to the east of West Palm Beach, which means... It's moved 15 miles in seven hours, I mean, which is extraordinary. And then you have to remember, this is what this is a beating that the Bahamas have experienced, and it really is since late last night. Yeah, I mean, the the fact it's just kind of sitting there churning looks just so ominous on on radars and and all the tools that we have uh, to sit there and and watch it. It just seems like it's just punishing the Bahamas so terribly. Well, so I asked this question a little bit earlier in the show when we were talking with someone from the WGN Weather Center. Um, you know, when we're when we're looking at predictive models, they are just that they are predictions based on data. Um, you know. At what point do those models shift today? At what point are you going to start thinking, yeah, it needs to go north now or it should have gone north by now, you know, before maybe those models need to be updated? Um, They run the models. There's a few of them that are run uh, two, sometimes even four times a day. So, you know, there are all these different runs. And every time you look at these these spaghetti models, I guess everybody is using that term now. Every time you look at the map, you see, you see, and we bite. We look at it, we see a shift either to the right or left, east or west. Oh, there it is, and there it's going, and it, it's too dismissive. The fact is, even when you see the whole cone without the lines in the center, without the models, but just the, the, the cone that you see from the hurricane center, it's really where they, and these are the experts in Miami, it's where they're expecting the center to be within those different time frames. So you'll see them kind of cut it out, mark it out. They'll have 8 a.m. and then 8 p.m. and then maybe some in-between times. The confidence is good in a short term. And then, of course, even in a long-term day-to-day forecast, you know, the inaccuracies uh, play a role. So short-term, it's good. It's narrow. And then it kind of broadens in time. And it really is because... Not that there's so much uncertainty, but there's so many variables. Things have to come in. And the thing that we're waiting for right now, and it's what we have not seen, because this thing is crawling to the west at one mile an hour, we're waiting for a, we call it a trough. It's low pressure. It's two-hour west. It's in the upper levels. And it's going to dig down to the southeast and then kind of lift it up toward the northwest. I'm sorry. It's going to lift it up to the northeast. Well, it hasn't come in yet, and that's when the turn starts. So the big high pressure that's been over Bermuda, it's it's relaxed. And so the steering is lost by that as it, you know, heads to the east. 
we need that low from the west to move in and actually kind of lift it up. And until that happens, the turn won't happen. And that's that's why it's really sitting there almost stationary and just kind of pumping and not doing very much. The only good news here is the the wind speed's weakened a little bit. I don't want to say it's been downgraded, but at least there has been some minimal amount of weakening. And so now it's a Category 4 instead of the Category 5. So there's just a small fraction of good news there with that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I worry that, that when I saw that, that uh, movement to a Category 4, when I saw that report come out, I thought, I hope that people don't take it less seriously that are in coastal areas of the U.S. I hope people don't go, oh, it's weakening. It'll be fine. Because it's always, you know, I, I, I err on the side of just evacuate. Just just get out of there. There's no shame in doing that. Just, you know, get out of there. That said, because of this uncertainty, it seems like there's a lot of guesswork to evacuations right now that a lot of public officials are managing because we don't really know what's about to happen. Well, and you're exactly right. You make a great point. You know, all this needs to do is to wobble 10 miles either right or left. Let's take it left, which would take the center closer to the east coast of Florida, and then with that turn up the, you know, the southeast coast, so you're talking Georgia, then the Carolinas, that would be like the worst-case scenario. The other side of it is the center hits, and then it could get really bumped back into the water and kind of off and on just kind of stagger the coastline where, like you say, people see one thing, they say, oh, it's going to be better, we're good. It's not necessarily the case. And that's where there is a lot of uncertainty and the predictability gets a little difficult. You know, it'd be so much easier if they do exactly what we wanted at the time we wanted it to happen, but never really works out that way. Right. Acts of nature and all of those things, right? Well, so... What typically happens? I know the Bahamas, uh, you know, the the landmass there is not particularly hilly. It's pretty flat. I think I read it was only 40 or so uh, miles above sea level, its highest point, or feet above sea level, rather, at its highest point, which is very Mm -hmm. low. What generally happens to the eye of a hurricane after it gets out back over water? Like once it crosses through a Caribbean island, does it tend to strengthen or or weaken or or what does it do? Or, Or is there no typical thing? Well, in this case, and, and it's so interesting, it from the scientific side, it's so interesting because this, the center's brushing, you know, the Bahamas right now, so there's a little bit of friction. Yeah, and as you say, you know, there's not hilly terrain, so there's not a lot to disrupt it completely, but it is helping to at least dry it out somewhat so it's slowing down the wind speeds. On the other side of that is when they slow down like this, the area of the wind field gets larger, so it expands. So instead of yesterday, I believe that the hurricane force winds were 30 miles out from the center, you know, today they're 40. So mm-hmm. it's a larger area of impact, but there's a little less in the way of wind. Normally when they move away from, you know, any kind of a landmass, you know, the open water is the fuel, and these things can intensify pretty quickly. But the way it's moving, and as close as it is to the east coast of Florida, as it rotates counterclockwise, um, that rotation is bringing air basically from the northeast down toward the southwest on the left side, which is where the state of Florida is. So there's a little bit of dry air that's going to be swept in. As a result, it's not in the wide open water, and that will not allow for any kind of rapid intensification. In fact, that should help to slow it down, and that would be you know the wind speeds as opposed to the motion of this thing, because this thing is not only crawling now, but moving across land brings the dry air in and it doesn't allow for it to intensify. In fact, it should help 
to weaken the hurricane. Mm, it's so interesting. I, I mean, there's a hurricane is such an interesting phenomenon because you've essentially got, you know, you've got to look at weather uh, or wind patterns, but also you've got atmospheric climate issues. You've got a storm. You have a, it's basically like a, a thunderstorm and a hurricane or a, and a tornado and water. I mean, all this kind of happening at once that it, it just seems kind of such an all hands on deck moment of science to even make the conditions right for them to appear. You're exactly right. But then magnify it because, you know, tornadoes are tiny. This thing is, and it's not going to affect one area, one community. We're talking about a state and several states. And as you mentioned before, you know, we're talking about evacuations all the way up through the Carolinas because nobody wants to do a wait and see. You can't when so many people are at risk. So you do it with plenty of what we call lead time. You try to get them out. You do the contra flow so everybody goes in the same direction to expedite all that. Then, you know, they're going to be mocked in the aftermath. Oh, we didn't need to or we should have and you didn't. We're doing our best. It's not an exact science. With everything that we have, the accuracy improves, but it's really never going to be perfect. But sure is a whole lot better than it used to be. That's all I would say about that. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I, I'm sure there's like the interesting technology there. I can't even, uh, I can't even keep up with all that. I think it's all so interesting with weather prediction models and and all of that. You know, let's. I want to take a little bit of a, a step back because the way we've talked about hurricanes over the years has has changed a lot. And I saw that bubbling up a lot yesterday on social media because people were saying. You know, so and so, you know, this challenges the record for a modern hurricane in this capacity or this one. And people are going, oh, but what about this one in 1934? What about this? You know, when we talk about our eras of hurricanes, not only what we named them, but but when we think of modern times of hurricanes, is that really I mean, that sounds like pretty recent, recent history. Yes, absolutely. And the compar- the initial headline, and I think some of the headline kind of got chopped off, but the headline was it was the most dangerous hurricane in modern history affecting the Bahamas. And at the time that the Hurricane Center released that, and you're exactly right, people are like, no, what about this one? Yeah. There have been stronger ones, but they were solely talking about how it's impacted the Bahamas. And people kind of lost sight at that. Um, but we have certainly seen our fair share of these more significant and stronger hurricanes. And you can look back over the last decade, and you've seen them. You know, last year in the Panhandle, we had Michael. You know, we had Irma and Maria. Uh, the year before, we have had really strong hurricanes. And, you know, it's not a trend that we want to continue to see, but we have certainly had our fair share. Yeah, certainly interesting. And what, what is it that makes, I mean, what is it that we... When we started calling it hurricane season, I mean, maybe this is just like a silly question, but what are the conditions that kind of mark the beginning and end of hurricane season that makes the conditions so favorable for hurricanes to occur and develop? Well, you know, by definition, the hurricane season starts June 1st, it ends November 30th. We don't normally see too many things developing in the early part or in the month of June because it takes a long time for the water to heat up. Land heats quickly, so, you know, air temperatures can be in the 80s, but the water's still in the 70s. It's going to, you know, there's a lag there. By the time it really heats up, and generally they say right around 81 degrees is the right temperature, we may not be until, you know, the end of July or so. And even then, it might be the Gulf of Mexico or the Caribbean Sea. But when they talk about a peak in the season, it's typically 
at the middle of August, and it goes through the end of October, and that time frame is typically when you've got a good swath of the Atlantic now that's heated up. So it's a bigger body of water. It's, you know, well above 80 degrees. It's more conducive for these kinds of systems to develop. And then if they do develop, let's say, off the west coast of Africa, and they're heading toward the west because you've got trade winds that are going to push them along, they have a big open water body over which they can develop. And a lot of times that's, we call them the Cape Verde hurricanes, but those are the kinds that we tend to see as the more the stronger, the more significant hurricanes impacting us. So you got to have a low latitude. you got to have the really warm water. Um, there has to be some sort of a disturbance, and it's kind of a term that you hear all the time, or there's a disturbance here, or there's the, it's a cluster of thunderstorms, and it just doesn't die out when the sun goes down. That's really what it is. Uh, you know, kind of put it in simple terms. And then, you know, everything has to come together. And when you think about it, it seems like we always have these kinds of tropical systems. But 100-year averages in the Atlantic Basin, 11 tropical storms and six hurricanes. The problem, of course, is it's not impacting a neighborhood or, you know, part of a state. It's many states for long periods of time. The recovery on this is going to be extraordinary, especially what we're looking at in the Bahamas. And, again, really, who knows where it's going to, you know, impact the hardest at this point. But it's a long time to come back from all this. Even the panhandle hasn't come back from Michael, which was October 10th, and we're talking, you know, well over six Almost well, I guess it's longer than that, isn't it? I guess we're talking like uh, twelve months. Um, I guess it's eleven at this point, but nearly twelve months ago. But long time, and it takes a while because it's so devastating and such a large area that's been impacted. Yeah, certainly. if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it certainly. I, I personally saw the uh, the impacts of uh, hurricanes Irma and Maria, and and had that mm. same thought of how this will be years before people can mm-hmm. completely rebuild from all these things. So yeah, that's there's a lot there. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today, Nancy Dignan, Florida-based meteorologist and professor at College of Meteorology. Thank you so much, and and also happy birthday. Thanks for talking to us on your birthday. That's so nice of you. <laughs> The problem with that is, you know, three years, actually, now it's four, but it seems like every Labor Day weekend when it's my birthday, we have a hurricane. So it's something I'd like to give up. That's right. (laughs) Maybe next year. (laughs) Well, thanks so much. I appreciate your time today. Thank you, Amy. Seven twenty WGN. Hey there, it's Amy Guth with you till four o'clock. I feel like I just learned a whole lot from that uh, professor that we were just talking to. I don't know about you, Casera, but uh, we were talking with Nancy Dignan. She is a meteorologist based in Florida and a professor at the College of Meteorology, which I don't know if ever I was going to audit a bunch of classes. That sounds like a fun place to do it. I, that just seems like a neat place. I mean, I think weather's so interesting. I probably should have. I should have done that. I could have been Skilling's intern and I'm learned all the things. I'm too old to shift anything now. And that's not true. I can. It's I not. could. My mom, you know what? My mom went back to school in her 60s and got a whole new career. So you know what? Whatever. Boom. You I can do whatever I want. I can do whatever. Uh, but yeah, I thought she was so interesting. She had such an interesting context for... Um, um, you know, just how to understand hurricanes and how to think about them and, and all that stuff. So, you know, lots there. And of course, we're going to be, as uh, she said, and also Demetrius Ivory said a little bit earlier, when we talked to him in the one o'clock hour, it's the really the next couple of hours are going to be very, very critical for seeing what, uh, what Hurricane Dorian does. And, you know, I think we just have to kind of wait and see. 
I'm I'm thinking deeply though about the thing that I touched on with uh, with Dimitri Ivory there about uh, the role of social media in natural disasters, because um, I'm always very concerned with you know I saw the same video shared by numerous people that as far as I could tell had no connection to one another, and all of them claimed like oh my cousin sent me this from the Bahamas. It's like well it's the same video. You're, you're 55 people I follow or you know 55 people using this hashtag are not all cousins with this person probably not. Um, you know, I, I just think we have to be really mindful. And it's, you know, it's easier to retweet something than to go check it out and to verify it. But I think especially with photos, anytime there's a disaster, there's a lot of doctored photos. There's one that always goes around about a shark swimming in a neighborhood. Uh, that is a doctored photo. I have a, a long Twitter thread about tools you can use to check out photos that you aren't sure about. But you know, one of the easiest ways, get that photo, go to Google image on a desktop, on a, on a browser, not a phone. And do the reverse image search because it will tell you really quickly if you're dealing with something that is a hoax. Because anytime there's a natural disaster, two things happen. Photos that are, that are unbelievable. Plenty of them are true because horrible things do happen. And, and, you know, I've been in disaster zones and seen them with my own eyes. And I, I can tell you they absolutely happen. But also doctored photos come up because people just want to. I don't know, troll people's minds. I don't know what they want to do. But then also the fundraising happens. Lots of links will pop up like, oh, donate to the Bahamas, donate here, donate here. Definitely use, you know, one of the um, charity navigator or one of those to check out an organization before you give to them. If you're donating it online, make sure that you have, uh, it's a secured site that you're using when you do donate. Um, you know, there's lots of GoFundMes popping up and things like that of people claiming to be in the Bahamas or claiming to be in, in, uh, hurricane ravaged areas. And some of them are completely legit. Uh, again, I, I'm, I'll say it again. I've, I've seen hurricane devastation with my own eyes and I know it can be really terrible. And people do need a lot of support to rebuild. There's the emotional trauma. There's financial trauma. There's, there's a lot there. Even if you're really well insured, there's still going to be a long recovery there. Um, so I'm not saying don't help people, certainly help people, but just be really careful and really mindful about those. Um, and before you share a photo, just just check it out. Just, that's all I'm asking. Just check it out. Just say, you know, what is this? What what uh, incentive does this person possibly have to share this photo? Or have I seen it somewhere else? Um, just, you know, I'm trying to help with the with the proliferation of of uh, accuracy or the pr- proliferation of, of not accuracy. I'm trying to help combat that a little bit and help things be a little bit more accurate. But that said, all of that said, there are um, as that hurricane Dorian has has been very slowly passing over the Bahamas. Some of some updates are starting to be known. Uh, some preliminary reports are coming that are. Uh, you know, some quite grim news. So we we just have to kind of wait and see. And, uh, I, you know, no one from a coastal area is listening, I'm sure. But uh, if you have any friends or relatives in that area, my parents, they retired to Florida. They lived there for a number of years. And they used to always write out these hurricanes. And it infuriated me. They would be like, no, nah, we're just going to be in the, you know, in the pantry and with the dogs, we moved a bed in there. I'm like, what's the matter with you? Just get in the car and get out of there. There's really no shame in uh, in nothing that I think for my parents, it was like they felt like they wanted to protect their house. They're like, oh, well, after if we're not there, people will break in and steal our stuff. That's fine. I'd rather them steal your stuff than you be dead. So that is how I feel about that. So I don't know. Do, have you started seeing like a lot of stuff on social media that um, like the same video over and over again? Should yeah, I've been seeing the same video over and over again. Um, 
Yeah, actually, one of my good friends was born and raised in Jamaica and then moved out here. Okay. But I have, I know that her family, like, still owns their house in Jamaica. Okay. I just don't know which island it's on or if they're even, like, being impacted. Because she's not in town right now. She's not there. She's away for a wedding. But I haven't even asked her because I know she's stressed about the wedding. And I don't want to add more to it. Like, oh, "Oh, you have a wedding and your house might be hit in Jamaica. So I I don't know that Jamaica's gotten too much impact. It's a little south, you know. Yeah. but I mean, even just the storms, even just being around. Yeah. Yeah, Just even even being near it. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, it's I feel like it's hard to see the coverage. Yeah, it's it's difficult. I was laughing, not laughing, but I found it interesting. It was like yesterday. You know, the different news outlets were showing different parts or like by mm-hmm. beaches and whatnot yeah. that were supposed to be getting hit soon. Mm-hmm. And they kept showing one beach and I forgot where it was, but it was just people camping out on the beach, just enjoying the sun. Yeah. But then the news reporter is there and it's just really windy. And they're like, yeah, it's supposed to make landfall here in like three or four hours. And you still just see people out with their kids going to the beach. And I'm like, hmm, interesting choice. Yeah. Uh, like hurricanes coming. Come on, kids. Let's, Let's go, go for a swim. Yeah, and we got to go to news here in a second. But uh, yeah, this morning on the Weather Channel, there was a, a reporter out talking with people, kind of getting their last do- dose of beach before they had to, you know, get out of there. Right. Like, oh, we just we were on vacation. I just want to soak up a little more beach before we go, you know, and 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 hunker down and all that. No. And and the reporter, she, this woman had two kids with her, and he turned to the littlest boy and said, you know, do you understand the importance of hurricanes? You you know, do you follow that? This kid took him to school. He was like, well, I do understand the tropical weather bands and tropical weather patterns and there's four other areas of concern in the Atlantic Basin and this kid just like mopped the floor with this reporter Wow! And he, he looked at the camera and he goes okay well this kid might be having my job here in the next few hours yeah, so there's sounds that like I love it. it that kid's on it smart kids there and that was uh, at Vero Beach so he's like taking care of it so we shall see <laughs> Seven twenty WGN. Sammy Guth, thanks for being with us this Labor Day. Another hit coming out of the producer booth. Thank you. You're the best. You're the best. All right. So a little bit earlier, I said, "Hey, it's Labor Day. So what is? Let's let's air some grievances like Festivus style." And uh, I asked, text us for uh, to tell us about your worst job ever or your worst boss. And holy moly, did you respond? Okay, I got to read some of these. Glenn and Evanston said the worst all caps, worst job I ever had was doing market research. My supervisor liked to walk around barefoot and her feet smelled. Ew. <laughs> okay, that's pretty gross. I've had a, I, yeah, I've had a coworker that liked to walk around barefoot too. And I was like, Could, can you not? Because that's real gross. Um, but this one, oh boy. Uh, this is from the 708. I used to clean porta potties. Uh, that job will change you. A lot of poop. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, I, you deserve a medal for that because, oof, oof, those, those things are so, oof, they're creepy. They're creepy. Let's see. Uh, I worked in a bottle manufacturing plant. This is from 312 uh, and thought it was the worst ever. But the next year I got a job working for uh, working for Sears in their junior fashion department as a secretary. So excited. I got there. There was no typewriter or phone on my desk. They said I didn't need either. I was assigned to putting price tags on clothes and a bell rang for coffee breaks and lunch. You had to ask to use the bathroom. I walked out after four days and never went back. Uh, and the supervisors made the worst nuns look nice. <laughs> There's that one. There's that one, too. Uh, let's see. We got some text there about uh, about Dorian. And then let's see. 
from the, what does that area code say? That says uh, 262. That's like really faint type. I need glasses. Uh, I'm working a job right now where I have been doing the director's job since May, but they won't give me the director's job, not to mention they, and then it cuts off. Uh, they'll, find, they'll finally be bringing someone in and I will be training that person. Oh, that's kind of rough. That's pretty rough. That happened to my best friend. Really? And I was so mind blown. Yeah, he works at this company and uh the person who was leaving trained him on the job but he still had to you know apply for the job and test in for it yeah it was him against one other person and they brought in the outside person and then he was forced to train her on the job that's deflating yeah a friend of mine um she worked for a company she still works there for, for a very long time was very much the heir apparent it was known that her you know the department head was leaving the department had even said, I re- I recommend her. She has been marvelous all these years. You know, she had groomed her for this job. Well, it turns out her supervisor, like, didn't get along with the company president. And she didn't know that. So it didn't matter that oh. she had kind of been endorsed for this job. And she had, I mean, she had gone to school. She had gotten a master's and, you know, done all this stuff to be ready. She assumed she would get this job. Right. And one day she like gets this email she she didn't even get a chance to interview for it in fact the i think the boss had said like oh yeah we'll talk about it fine she gets a company-wide email that says he's appointed his recent college grad nephew to be head of that department wow and the nephew sends out this email that says like you know my passion last year you know he had, he graduated and then took a gap year before he started working because he had you know resources to do so of course so he said oh my passion last year was traveling and snowboarding but my passion this year is this field and it's like i always get so annoyed when people are just like born into their career that's right and she's like he's you know 24 and his the last he's never had a job in his last year he's just spent traveling around the world on his family money and she's like meanwhile i got a master's i got all this student loan debt and yeah, here she, we are. she even like cut her maternity leave short so she wouldn't meet, miss much time knowing this was happening. Like she timed all that. I mean, oh boy, there was rage that day. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> there was some rage. We might have used the word professional a few times uh, on uh, on that at that point. So uh, yeah, thanks so much for your text. Here's one more. This one kind of branches, this sort of covers two different topics. We were talking about the elevator topic when I got stuck in the elevator for a couple minutes last week, but then also the job topic. And that is uh, from the 773. I worked at a hospital near you and got stuck in an elevator with a bunch of surgeons. It was funny to see such control freaks have to realize they have no control. I bet it was. I bet that was like a lot of uh, a lot of stuff there. Looks like we have a caller. Who are we going to talk to? Are we going to talk to... Uh, are we going to talk to Fred here in a second? He's still on the phone with me. All right, let's do this. Hey, Fred, you're on WGN. What is, uh, what's the worst boss ever story you have? I had a boss about 48 years ago. I had completed my apprenticeship. I'm standing at the opposite side of a room with other workers. And I told the foreman we needed toilet paper. His response was throwing two rolls of toilet paper separately at me. Well, that's not very nice. Good grief. He threw them at you. So at any point after that, needless to say, I didn't deal with that foreman. I would only make a request through the clerk or through some other underling, and I wouldn't even say hello to him. So, you know, 
you know, I didn't have, since I, my apprenticeship was over, I didn't have to really answer to him very often, you know. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, Ever- Thanks for the call, Fred. Thanks, you too. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine your boss throwing a roll of toilet paper at you? I mean, my boss here, I would just laugh and I'd be like, what'd you just do? I would like throw it back at him. I'd be like, what's the matter with you? I feel like that seems like a typical day here, just throwing around toilet paper. It's so random what we see here. We do see random things. I, for, you know, I used to, I haven't picked it back up since we moved here, but I used to at Tribune Tower tweet things seen at WGN Radio, or I think I said like stuff at WGN Radio, because there would just be the weirdest things here because yeah. we get sent products people want us to review them right and sometimes if you're like i know that's not going to fit with my show i'm not you know you just you put it out on a table you put it in a giveaway pile or whatever i mean some of the, the weird books and some of the weird stuff you're just like what in the world but then so also the people book. just like show up not with stuff sometimes you know so it's interesting Seven twenty wgn Hey there, it's Amy Guth. Because Sarah, the thing is, your bump music is so good, I don't want to talk. I just want to sit there and listen and dance. And that makes for terrible radio. No one wants to hear me dance. <laughs> that's I mean, <a> thing. <laughs> they can also watch if they want to. I don't know. I appreciate that that's, uh, that's what right. my music choices make I know. me want to do. That's Thank right. You. People could be watching right now. That's a thing. So I can't, I have to remember I like, scratch my ears or anything right now. <laughs> Pick my nose, scratch my butt, whatever. <laughs> Good times. All right. Well, so throughout the show today, we've been given some updates about Hurricane Dorian. Uh, lots going on there. We spoke a little bit earlier with Demetrius Ivory in the WGN Weather Center. Uh, but now Ryan Burrow, who is in the newsroom. Uh, Ryan, you've been looking at how the hurricane has been tra- uh, impacting uh, Labor Day tra- travel because a lot of people flew places, went somewhere, did some things, and now they got to get back home and a lot of flight cancellations. What yeah. are you seeing? We're at 1,700 flight cancellations today and a bulk of those being in the southeastern portion of the country, whether you talk Orlando, whether you talk Melbourne, whether you talk all of these places kind of up and down that eastern portion uh, of Florida, obviously a lot of them concerned as to uh, this weather's impact. The eye of the storm right now not projected to touch uh, this state of Florida. But that being said, when you've got 150 mile an hour wind gusts swirling around not too far away, you've got rain, you've got storm surge, that creates issues for flying. And this is a day, uh, the second busiest flying day in this travel period. Friday was supposed to be the busiest. Airlines for America, a trade group that uh, tracks this kind of information, said that 17.5 million flyers uh, would be flying at some point over this holiday weekend, and today being a big one of those days with 1,700 flights, and who knows when this storm is going to finally give some relief to that area. Uh, It could be a trouble spot for quite some time. Yeah, I imagine there's a lot of uh, frantic calls to car rental companies and things like that happening right now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've seen that uh, the money, the cruise ships that kind of move out of that area have altered their paths. They've allowed people to uh, get some time to understand that uh, maybe the plans that they had aren't exactly how the plans are going to go down, whether it be cruise ships, uh, whether it be other kind of uh, uh, touristy things that are going on there. We obviously always keep our eye on Disney World as well to see what uh, the plan is there. As of right now, it looks like it's 
it's going to remain open as long as it can. Uh, they do have procedures in place. And uh, yeah, you you mentioned we you mentioned uh, you know as, as far as renting things, uh, hotel rooms are always a challenge at this time because you've got a combination of people who would be there anyway uh, for vacation, and then you've got people who are trying to flee the storm in one form or another. They tend to clog things up, and you've got first responders, you've yeah. got um, uh, power companies, uh, you've got uh, us in the media who clog up a lot of hotel rooms as well. So uh, it really does make for a mess. Yeah, it really does. Well, you know another. Another issue that has been plaguing a lot of airlines uh, is Boeing. That's something you and I have both uh, talked a lot about here on this station and others for you um, about, you know, the the grounding of the 737 MAX has just such a, a huge impact that it just kind of keeps going and going. Uh, what is kind of the latest with Boeing? It seems like there was even more news just in the last couple of days with them. Yeah. So what we've learned is United and American Airlines have pushed back uh, their grounding dates, uh, the dates that they were planning to finally uh, end this grounding. We know that uh, American Airlines is going to hold out at least until December 3rd. So American Airlines is going to go completely through that whole Thanksgiving holiday break uh, at the cost of about 140 flights being canceled every single day uh, before they get the Boeing 737 maxes up. They've got 14 of these flights, uh, 14 of these planes. Uh, United Airlines doing something very similar. They're actually pushing it back even closer to Christmas, December 19th. They say they're going to cut about 2,400 flights in that month of November, and you add another about 1,800 flights in the month of December, flights that are just being canceled. And then you've got Southwest Airlines, which doesn't plan on flying any of their Boeing 737 MAX 8s until January, early January. So this deadline keeps getting pushed back, and a lot of people wonder, uh, what's the point? Why is Boeing pushing this so hard? Why not just move on at this point? But uh, they feel like they can get this thing up and running in the software uh, field fixed and and be ready to to be prepared to take on 2020 i suppose yeah i mean that holiday season to have that many flight cancellations that would be a huge financial impact to a lot of airlines but it's been interesting to see how uh airline leadership has reacted differently you know it seemed like united right out of the gate he was like you know what when they're ready i'll be the first one on that flight i'll fly it myself to make sure it's good and right to show you because it's all about you know it's all about trust but it seemed like southwest from the beginning was like nope Nope, not until you are good and sure. They had the most amount of these 737 jets in their fleet as far as these major domestic air carriers. I believe it's 34 is what they had and the most that they were using. So it was a big move for them to to do this, to pull down those. But, you know, there has to be trust among the passengers who are buying those tickets. And if you buy the tickets and you know what kind of plane that's going to be, that's one of the discussions, by the way, in Congress is, you know, when we buy our tickets, a lot of times, you know, you're just buying a ticket because it's the cheapest thing. You understand what the airline is, but you don't know what plane you're getting on when you make that ticket purchase uh, necessarily, or at least it's not bold. And so that's something that uh, we may be seeing changing. Maybe uh, when you factor in what you're purchasing, not only price, not only the kind of uh, airline you're using, but the kind of plane you're getting on as well. That's really interesting because, uh, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I saw somebody the other day, in fact, tweeting about uh, taking it. She was on a Boeing aircraft. It was obviously not that one because it's grounded, but she was like, I'm on a Boeing aircraft. That kind of freaks me out. And it's, it's, you know, I think at this point there is a lot of public trust and there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot there to overcome. When this first happened, when the grounding first happened, um, I was talking with a Cranes reporter about this and, and she said, you know, I think 
if they can overcome this, which I'm sure they will, they're a giant company, uh, if they can overcome this, then this is going to end up being a really fascinating case study, much like the cyanide deaths with Tylenol in the in the 70s and 80s uh, for a lot of business students. But as this has continued to go and other shoes have dropped and there's been, you know, the whistleblower stuff in South Carolina and all these pieces have come, I, I almost get more and more doubtful that, you know, how I don't know how in the world Boeing will emerge. I'm sure they'll figure it out, but it just seems uh, you could not pay me enough to be Boeing CEO right now. That's for sure. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's interesting because you, you do see companies that that one thing can derail them. And we're seeing this potentially playing out right now with the e-cigarette makers, right? With uh, all of the bad news that, that they've been seeing and, and getting lately and, and the bad publicity. Is this going to be the end of those? Or is this just kind of intriguing and just a little blip? Uh, we saw it with Volkswagen, uh, with the the cheating scandal uh, on the emissions. Mm-hmm. And Volkswagen's still around, yeah. despite having to pay out millions, billions of dollars over this cheating scandal. Uh, they're still around. So uh, is this just a little ripple or will this be their demise? You know, what's interesting is even despite this grounding, they've continued to produce these Boeing 737 MAX jets. There are still orders out there that they're trying to fill. Now, where those orders are going, we don't know because these planes are just sitting in parking lots and tarmacs across the country right now. But uh, those orders were still being taken and they're desperately hoping that eventually this will pass. They'll get the thumbs up from the FAA regulators. The planes will be back up in the air and we'll all forget about this and, and move on. Wow. I mean, they, there was the, we don't think about Dreamliner in the same way that we you know did at one point. That was a that was a topic for them. So so we'll see. But there was also the news of the uh, there was a Russian company. It was the parent company of an airline that sued for cancellation and, uh, you know, various damages specifically like cancel this order we're done here we're not doing this so that'll be it i don't know this will be an interesting uh story when it's all done of course we can't lose sight of the fact that it is about you know two flights that crashed in you know five months a span of five months that there was over 300 lives lost on that and there were some very you know scary and haunting details with those but you know at now this is, you know, becoming such a, a fascinating local business story here, you know, with their headquarters here in Chicago. It's weird because we always attach that Chicago-based Boeing. I don't know how many of us actually feel that attachment to it. Yeah. Uh, because they, you know, they were for the longest time a Seattle company and then put their headquarters here. So I, I think we're all kind of still... Uh, it's an interesting uh, topic that it is a local story from that perspective. We've seen a lot of the lawsuits coming through here in Chicago, filed here in federal court. Um, but keep in mind, too, uh, 737 is not the only thing going for Boeing right now. They've got uh, military contracts. They've got other uh, jetliners that they make. So um, they're just trying to push forward and, and hoping that someday the FAA regulators just give them that thumbs up they need. Yeah, I don't think they have to have a big sale anytime soon to, oh. to keep the lights on for sure. Although, you know, when when the story first, when the grounding first happened, I do remember reading a a data point about how what percentage this was of their operating budget. And it was it was a it was pretty significant. It was around, you know, 30% of their of their operating budget for this one aircraft. So I think they had certainly staked a lot on it. And uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. Well, we'll keep uh, we'll keep our eyes open on it popular now we'll see if it's popular in uh six months a year two years yeah right i mean you know anytime there's a big uh, a big kerfuffle or disaster any kind of period of rapid change that's when other people step into a space and make a lot of change so it could change the fate of another airline or another aircraft manufacturer for sure absolutely 
All right. So what we're going to do is we are going to uh, we're going to take a break and then we're going to get you to news. All that good stuff back in just a bit here on 720 WGN. Seven twenty WGN. It's Amy Guth here with you till four o'clock. When you turn things over to pregame, thanks for sharing part of your Labor Day with me. Well, we've been talking about some stuff on the show today that sometimes is kind of scary, kind of overwhelming to watch the news. Right? We've been talking about hurricanes and politics and airlines and all kind of stuff that can be pretty overwhelming. So I want to completely shift gears right now. We're joined by New York Times best-selling author Pat Zietlow Miller. She is joining us to talk about her latest book. Pat, welcome to the program. Thanks for being with us today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Well, so tell us about your most recent book. I love the titles of your book. They're so positive and and so uplifting. But tell us about this most recent one. Well, Be Kind is a book that's all about the different ways that you can be kind. And it's a picture book, so you'd think it would normally be for kids. But I think there's a lot of things in it that also apply to adults and anyone in the world who's trying to go out and be the best version of themselves that they can be. Certainly. And so you have you have be kind and you have when you are brave and seems like just really lovely messages in those. What was the catalyst for you? What prompted you to write about these themes of, of you know, being brave and bold and and making really positive choices when you took these took the, these characters on? Well, I think that for me, I write the books that I needed as a kid. I was sort of a timid kid. Um, I was smart. I did good in school, but I was just nervous and awkward and, you know, all the things that I think a lot of people go through. And so a lot of times when I wrote books, I think what was something that I needed to hear as a kid and how can I turn it into a story? And so I sort of write the book that, that I needed. Yeah, certainly. I think I think a lot of authors do that. Um, and so, how you know, the question, of course, all authors get all the time, but also probably dread is, you know, how much of how much of that said, how much of you is in that book? A lot of me, a lot of me is in every single one of my books. In fact, most of my books come from some particular instance in my life that made me feel a certain way. And then I try to take that feeling and apply it through the book. I think most good books have some sort of a universal truth to them that anybody can read and go, oh, I felt that way. Um, So like for Be Kind, I was trying to figure out how to start the book. And it actually starts with a, a girl spilling grape juice all over her dress. And then her classmate tries to figure out the best way that they could be kind to this girl. And it actually stems from when I was dating the man who's now my husband, I spilled grape juice all over the inside of his car, his new car. Oh, that'll and do it. <laughs> that'll start oh, a relationship off on the right foot. You know, I'm going to, we're going to take a quick break, Pat, but I want to keep this conversation going because I want to hear so much more about these characters. Seven twenty WGN. It's Amy Guth with you a little bit longer here before we turn things over to pregame after four o'clock. But before the break, we started a conversation with Pat Zietlow Miller, who is a best-selling author of amazingly positive and wonderful books. I'm always happy to talk about things that are uplifting and positive, and I really appreciate your time joining us today, Pat. I appreciate you taking time out of your Labor Day to talk with us. So I would love to talk about the characters in 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 these two in these books because these. 
these these young women have just such positive, uh, you know, uh, and very real, I think very relatable, even to adults, very relatable experiences. Tell us about them, if you would. Okay, so in Be Kind, it's two characters, and one is trying to figure out the best way to be kind to the other one who has had this incident where she spilled grape juice all over her dress and is embarrassed. And, and the kid tries several things that don't really work out. And I thought that was important to include because sometimes you do something with the best intentions, but it doesn't go the way you wanted it to. And, you know, you can stop and you can try again. And I think that's important for kids to learn and then also adults. Um, and so the book is about their relationship and how they learn, you know, what, what kindness is and how it can be applied. Um, and I tried really hard not to make it a didactic book, like, a you know, this is why you must brush your teeth type of book. I wanted it to tell the story without being preachy. Mm-hmm. And, and how challenging was that to do? Did you, did you go through many drafts of it? Did you feel like you went there or was it pretty much as it is now? It, it took several drafts. In fact, the first version of the story I sent to my editor, and she said, mm, no, that's not really what I thought. And so I went back, and I worked on it some more. And I think it was the second or third version that was the one that she said, yeah, that's it. Um, and that's great. And that's the benefit of working with an editor is they help you, you know, make the best thing you can possibly make. Oh, everyone needs an editor, like for life, even yeah. life choices. Even <laughs> We all need that. Um, and so what um, you've talked a little bit in some in interviews I've read about the relationship with the illustrator and how, uh, you know, things like a cross country uh, move and things like that came to life through your illustrator's work. Tell us about that. Okay, well, um, the cross-country move is from my book, When You Are Brave, and Eliza Wheeler is the illustrator for that, and it's my second book that Eliza and I have done together. And what happens is I write the text, and then it goes off to Eliza, and she does the art without any input from me. And some people are just amazed at that, but to me it makes sense because when I'm writing the story, she's not looking over my shoulder saying, don't you think you ought to have a comma there, and Mm -hmm. don't you think you ought to do this? So I do my part, and then the illustrator does their part. And with When You Are Brave, I wrote a book about being brave, but I never talked about a cross-country move. That's something she added entirely in the art that made the story just so much more fuller and complete. That's so interesting. And so in When You Were Brave, it's showing um, a lot of situations where one would need to be brave and kind of pull themselves forward and challenge themselves to, you know, to kind of do the right thing. What has feedback been like for these books? Um, I, I imagine very positive, but I imagine also you've heard from some very sweet, uh, very, some various very sweet little stories, too, to go along with them. I really have. That's the part of being an author that I didn't expect was the feedback that I would get from people. Uh, With When You Are Brave, I've heard from so many adults who said, I bought this book thinking it was for my kid, and I read it, and I realized it was for me, Mm. which, you know, was kind of cool for me because I think it is for adults. Everybody has to be brave. Um, And then I've heard a lot about how schools are using the books. You know, for for Be Kind, they're doing a lot of of kindness drives where every time a kid does something kind, they can put, like, a piece of paper in 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 a bin, and then when it gets to be so many, the principal does something. Or, you know, they've been doing kindness projects at the school. Um, and then I've heard about uh, one kid who read When You Are Brave or had a parent read it to them, and they had been having trouble sleeping at night, and now they sleep with the book, which is just about the sweetest thing you can hear as an author, that there's some kid out there sleeping with your book. Oh, my God, Pat, I'm going to cry. That's so sweet. Imagine some little kid, like, curled up with a book. That's adorable. That's so sweet. Well, so what's, um, what books are next? What can we expect to see soon? Well, there's a follow-up to Be Kind. It's coming out in 2021 because picture books take forever. It's called Be Strong. 
And in that book, Tanisha, the girl that spills the grape juice, kind of gets to step into her moment of power, and she discovers what it means to be strong to her. Um, so that one I'm really excited about. And then I've got one coming out next year that's more funny than Warm and Fuzzy, and it's called My Brother the Duck, and it's about a, a girl who is a scientist who's convinced her baby brother is actually a duck, and she sets out to prove that is the case using proper STEM procedures. <laughs> I love that. Come back on the show when that book comes out, because I definitely want to talk about that. Well, you know, and it also seems like there's a lot... Yeah, there's a lot of themes here too about, you know, uh, it, that are very empowering to, to young girls that are, that are really important too when we see, um, I mean, I remember all of my favorite books, you know, there were a few with girls, but there were so many books that had boys in it that I just didn't really relate to. So it's fun and exciting and important, I think, to, for young, young kids to see, you know, girls and boys having really positive choices, making positive choices and having positive experiences. Oh, definitely. I definitely try to be, be very even-handed when I'm, I'm writing a story and, and making sure I'm not falling into like traditional gender roles mm-hmm. and who is doing why. And um, it, it's fun to, you know, illustrate the reality rather than tradition. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Well, thanks so much for talking today. Where can people go to find you and follow you on social media and all that good stuff? And of course, buy your books. Yeah, well, I'm on Twitter at, at Pat, capital Z, Miller. My website is www.patbutlermiller.com. And um, I'm part of a blog of other picture book writers called Picture Book Builders. And if you just Google Picture Book Builders, it's a whole bunch of picture book writers talking about books that we love. Picture Book Builders. That sounds like a really cool site that I probably will spend a lot of time on. That sounds really fun. Well. Thank you so much, Pat. I really appreciate your time, everybody. You heard Pat Zietlow Miller. Go find the website. Go find social media. Do all that stuff. If you follow me on Twitter, I'm going to tweet out links to all this stuff after the show so you can find it. Thanks so much, Pat. Thank you. Seven twenty WGN. It's Amy Guth wrapping things up. Still got a couple minutes, though, and I got some things I would like to discuss. One of them, um, those of you who know me, you know that I'm all about social media. I love to use it. I love the things that technology has done for us. I also often talk about the things, the ways that it hurts us. But for the moment, let's talk about uh, the ways that it helps us. And I love that you can connect with people around the world. You can follow updates from people, even though we all know it's just the highlight reel. But one thing... Um, you know, one thing that's not so uh, great, sometimes people uh, criticize the leadership of Twitter for saying, hey, you're not doing enough to make this a safe and positive place. You know, there's really dangerous, threatening language sometimes on Twitter. There's hate speech. There's things like that. And sometimes if you flag a tweet saying, hey, this is abusive or dangerous, sometimes they'll get back to you and say, well, it didn't quite meet our standards. And I've flagged some tweets that I've received before that were very threatening, like one specifically talked about taking off my head and throwing it down Michigan. Avenue. And they were like, that doesn't really rise to our to our standards of that. So I thought, well, that's kind of not cool. But um, one person who gets criticized, of course, is the leader of Twitter. That's the CEO, Jack Dorsey. And uh, not the first time his Twitter was hacked this week. So about three or so in the afternoon the other day, these really strange tweets start coming. They were 
real racist. There was a bomb threat involving in one of them, uh, you know, threatening the Twitter offices in Silicon Valley. They were really strange tweets. And suddenly, you know, everybody kind of quickly realized what was going on. Uh, The Twitter communications account started tweeting, hey, we know there's an issue. We're working to sort it out. You know, we're working on it. Well, the other day I tweeted this and I'll tweet it again uh, so you can see it. But there was a piece in uh, um was either Gizmodo or Wired. I'm pretty sure it was it was Wired talking about how they believe the hack happened because, you know, here's the CEO of Twitter. You like to think if he can't be safe, good grief, like there's no hope for the rest of us. And so they believe it was like a SIM card switch where somebody convinces or bribes or whatever somehow gets access to you know someone who works at a carrier and you convince them oh this number should the sim card attached to this number should be redirected to this one Uh, and so that's how they believe that happened but that's horrifying and that's a scary thing but i was talking about this on saturday the other day if you are into documentaries Definitely watch one. It's on Netflix. It's called The Great Hack. It is about the Cambridge Analytica uh, data issues that emerged over the last year or so. Um, it is fascinating. It is so fascinating. I keep talking about it because I want someone else to watch it so I can, you know, I, I, I want to talk to so many people about this and, and get their opinions about it. But it is, it will really kind of make you think twice about how much information is being collected about us. You know, every time we swipe a debit card, every action we do in our highly digital world, it's not just about, um, oh, they can target ads to me better because they, you know, know about me. This is about uh, preying upon fears and making people exhibit behaviors, making pe- this is about dividing social issues. This is about it's about major stuff and influencing behavior. And so there kind of a, this theme that emerges in that film is about um preying upon fear at crucial times socially, like uh, the 2016 election, like Brexit, which uh, was being discussed just a little bit earlier here, um, because that's in the news today. And so it's about using data of what you know about people to essentially prey upon their deepest fears about an issue and then divide them. So you don't even have to target their behavior, their their behavior will, will, will already happen. And it kind of poses this idea like, you you don't want to imagine that Facebook could actually be responsible for all of the issues in the world going on right now that are, you know, some are certainly, you know, not Facebook driven, but a lot of them, you know, I think no matter how you voted, we can agree it's a very contentious time politically. And the way we discuss things online, it's, it's difficult. And it's, uh, you know, a thing that stresses people out a lot. And sometimes just scrolling through your Facebook feed, you're like, oh, my gosh, the world is such a mess. And it kind of, it kind of creeps up to this idea of that, maybe we were part of a I mean, like a social experiment in such widespread way when there's, you know, 7 billion people on the face of the earth and something like one in three has a Facebook account, one in three is a Facebook user and something like one in six is a very active Facebook user. That's a lot of people. So um, I highly recommend this. I know I've mentioned it on the air before and I'm like, got to stop talking about it. But it's, it's really on my mind. It's a really, really fascinating topic. Have you seen that? Have you heard anything about this, this documentary? Nothing at all. And I am a sucker for documentaries. It, I need to go watch this. It's so good. I mean, I had to, I paused it three or four times and just jotted down a bunch of notes going, oh my God, this is like light bulbs are going off. The thing I want to talk about the most with, because I want you to watch it so we, and then call me so we can talk about it because I got, I got things. But there's a couple people painted as very sympathetic characters in it that I don't think are that sympathetic. Some of them I'm like, I don't know if I trust you. I get that you're in a tough spot, but I, your motivation doesn't totally add up for me. So watch it and tell me what you think. Two people. I absolutely will. I got you. It's good. 
Well, you're about to go travel, so it's something to do on the plane. Actually, while I'm on the plane, I have a job that I need to work on with my new iPad. I have to teach myself how to DJ using GarageBand to then teach it during a music summit at the Apple, Apple Store. So that is my my work for my flight. I have no idea how to help you with that because I okay. cannot do it. <laughs> it's all good. I had to go to the store earlier this morning, like 9 a.m. to get a lesson on it. So now it's just kind of like figure it out. Yeah. DJ and GarageBand. That's, I've yeah. only used it for podcasts. I have no right. idea how to do that. They have this thing called live loops. So okay. you're able to like loop beats and then manipulate them as if I was DJing live with it. See, so, yeah. there are such great uses of technology. Yes. It's just when we, it's like sometimes unintended, unintended consequences, but sometimes it's just like people being terrible. Absolutely. <laughs> so there's always, I mean, I want to be those, I want to be that person that loves technology. And right. I always try to have an open mind for any kind of new technology platforms and, and just say, well, I'm going to learn about it and then decide rather than just say oh i don't think that's for me i'll decide i'll try right but then there's always like sometimes unintended consequences like these sort of things is that is all that stuff really superior to the um turntables with the felt pads what do you mean oh i mean vinyls and everything i still spin with vinyl on turntables oh thank goodness thank goodness i actually learned with turntables i learned vinyl first and then i learned cdjs and then i learned controllers and laptops well, I'm a vinyl fan. What can I tell you? Hey, it's okay. Do you have a lot of vinyl, David? I used to. I used to. Yeah. But this is this is when everything was vinyl. Right. Uh, nobody the CDs hadn't even hit yet. And uh yeah, you know, turntables were standard equipment in almost any studio. For sure. Yeah, that's not even the case anymore. Like a lot of the clubs you'll go to, they have CDJs now. There's it's rare that you'll see turntables at any of them. That's kind of sad. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I, I mean, it's not a lost art form because there's actually parties that, that won't let you spin unless you spin vinyl. So I went to a party yesterday at Ace Hotel and all the DJs had to spin vinyl. If you did not spin vinyl, you could not spin. That's interesting. Yeah. Which do you prefer? I prefer, I honestly, I prefer my controller, but I prefer it because it's just easier to pack up and go. Like, it's right. not always guaranteed that a venue is going to have turntables. So if you walk in and you have, you know, like your vinyl crates and then your needles and That's you heavy. walk in and they're like, oh, we have CDJs. It's kind of like, uh, uh-huh. okay, you no just one told not me. good. Schlepped yeah. a lot of things along. Exactly. Everything's going digital. <laughs> so, I mean, most venues now have CDJs, but then you have the issue of other people not taking care of the technology. So you could come in and try to set up and something's not working. So I bring in my controller because I'm like, I know my stuff works. I'll plug into you and I'm good to go. Is there a podcast about the art of being a DJ and like the equipment and the stuff that goes into it? I don't think so. Well, free idea for you. Thank you so much. There you go. All Bro, right. That's how you end the show with a free idea from Amy Goode. Thank hey, you. Hey, whatever it's worth, take it, run with it. This is my free idea for you. And you're now consulting her, so now you have to pay Amy. No, exactly. no, it's a free idea. It's really a free idea for Thank real. Thank you. All right. Well, it's four o'clock, so we got to go to news. We don't have a break, right? We're out of here. We're, nope. we're out of here. Thanks so much for listening. Appreciate your time today. Happy Labor Day, everybody.